church boys. So, Billy, you a tennis tennis player? I am not a tennis player. <laughs> about you, I Lucas? You look, look, Lucas. You look like you might be a, a tennis player. You know, you have I such a nice haircut. Can we talk about that haircut? I he appreciate does. that. It's I, gorgeous. Uh, I finally got back to uh, my little salon that I go to and got the royal treatment. Uh, I have I've played tennis a couple times. Last time I played was at some wealthy friends of ours, and I tripped over a metal chair going after a ball. And I broke the racket, and I found out later it was like a famous tennis player's racket that he had like personally given her, and oh, I had no. snapped it in half because I fell on it. So that was the last time I played <laughs> tennis. So are you? Your poor wife has suffered. She really she, has. She really has. Are you? Are you athletically inclined, Lucas? I mean, I think I'm fairly athletically inclined. I am. Uh, I'm. I'm kind of a generalist. I wouldn't necessarily. I'm. I'm better at like aggressive sorts of things i'm scrappy so it's some martial like, arts okay so you're like like single like not team sports but single kind of things? yeah yeah okay. i mean i always wanted to be a professional basketball player but my 510 you know average man size did not really help in that endeavor but man i gave it a good try eighth grade ninth grade well, you know around you. there so uh but never really happened but uh, and i come from a decent family of golfers so I've had multiple family members with holes in one. Wow. My dad and sister and brother are all very avid golfers. So I'm, golf I'm at decent all? at golf. Okay. I just don't get out there, you know, probably as much as I'd like. Do you do you like it when you do? I do. Yeah. Oh, do I okay. enjoy golf. I get to see birds, you know, while I'm in the golf cart. <laughs> but to me, I, I like the social experience of golf. Sure. I would probably rarely go out just by myself. But I like, you know, you driving the cart around, getting to hang with somebody for a couple hours talking. That's always a good time. All right. And, then, and Billy, so nothing for you athletically, I suppose. When I was in high school and even into my 20s, I, lo- I loved playing basketball. Um, so that was something I did, and I, and I became fairly good. You know, like there's some people who are naturally athletic, yeah. and then there's some people who you just do it so much, you get kind of good at it. And it right. was like one thing for me. I didn't really care about anything else outside of running. Like running and basketball were my things. I love the videos of you running, by the way. Do you remember the which ones? Well, do you remember you did so that? Many. You did that run where you're like running through the forest, and there were all those pictures of you that I was able to find. Oh, that was horrible! We, <laughs> no, no, let's talk about this. If you sign me up for a freaking five or ten k or whatever, and I'm like, <laughs> this thing was five and a half miles long, and I'm like, oh, this won't be bad. And like normally, five and a half miles would be enough where I'm. It's a little. It's hard, right? And you got to work <laughs> for it. For me, at least, like, um. But I didn't know that I was going to be going through hills and valleys in the middle of the woods after a rainstorm. Had you told me that, I fell and cracked my hip at one point. It was awful. People were you falling. You cracked your hip? I, I mean, like an, yeah. like an old woman? Basically. Like... I mean, I was, I had, then I had to finish the race because I was in the middle of the woods. It was like one of those things where you're halfway through it and you're like, what did I do? And there's no way out. I have to finish it because I'm in the middle of like nowhere. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all for, I love, I still like to run, but I just hate the way I feel after, so I do the Peloton. That's my thing. How about your uh, video game plank exercise toy that you got? I'm still waiting for it. It didn't come yet? It's probably coming from China. Well, all these people on quarantine are, frankly, ordering all the equipment. There's there's actually a rower that I really want, and the rower was $700, and it's now... $1,600. $1,600. Where are you, you, you going to put this in your this? townhouse? <laughs> I mean, basically everything goes in my office and I just keep getting rid of things to make other things fit. 
That's what that's so what happened. Have you mastered Okay, so you you didn't get the not the roller, but what was the thing? Oh, the planking video game nonsense. Yeah, I'm waiting yes. for that. Still. So, but I'm you did get the hoverboard and how that how that little <laughs> experiment go? The hoverboard, <laughs> my wife and I have used it embarrassingly in front of the neighbors and you know, I mean, I fell one day off of it, but it's actually not bad. It's okay. not bad. It's totally manageable, but you need a flat surface and like the outside, like it doesn't do well on gravel. You really need like a flat, right. you know, like not thick carpet. So we've done it on the wood floors and I scuffed okay. them up. So I was upset about that. But yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. It's a really cool device. I just have nowhere to use it. I, uh, I picked up uh, right before I turned 40 about a year ago, I started picking up longboarding. And, uh, I'm okay. I can't do any tricks. But then last year in the fall, I was having my dog pull me around the neighborhood <laughs> as I rode it. That was like what I would do at night and Walker. And I fell and I broke my, uh, I fractured my arm. Oh. So I, I've not, I've not gotten back on it since that. So I, I hope that that does not happen with your hoverboard, but, uh, I kind of do. <laughs> Yeah, you're because you're flat out evil. I mean, I haven't. I have to charge it. It actually died. We were using it like a lot in two days. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> did it come with a anyway? Uh, did it come with a hefty suspension package? I bought one that could actually <laughs> handle seven hundred pounds. Adult. Okay, so That's good. we prefer the term husky. Husky. Well, I mean, let's talk to Nancy Pelosi okay, about so what she thinks. That's, that's what we should really do. We, we, we were going to do that later, and we'll get. Because we were on this, we'll do that later. But so ten, tennis is where where we started, and somehow we got into Billy's fatness and him breaking the hoverboard. So, <laughs> if you live in Nassau County, which is as I understand it is uh, Long Island, right? You were treated to a, a wonderful press conference uh, over the weekend <laughs> from County Executive Laura Curran. And Laura Curran... She's got to have a million Twitter followers oh, now. She is wonderful. I, I, she she did this to. so well. So uh, let's just... She's giving people advice on playing tennis because the public tennis courts are now open. And there are certain rules you have to follow now that the tennis courts are open in Nassau County. Uh, there's social distancing, other rules that you have to follow. And there's a very specific rule you must follow when it comes to the equipment you use whilst playing tennis on Long Island, and, and, and here it is. Unless they're from the same, same household, has to bring their own tennis balls so that you don't touch other people's tennis balls um, with your hands. You can kick their balls, but you can't touch them. I'm going to blush, sorry. Um, of course, if you're, if you're playing with someone in your household, you can touch those tennis balls. Uh, to avoid <laughs> to avoid confusion between whose balls are whose, you can use a marker like a sharpie to mark out to put an X and put someone's initials on them. Um, I would just say. So, let's make sure we've got the rules straight. Okay, <laughs> she's very clear on what the rules are, and there are two very important takeaways from that discussion about the equipment to use whilst playing tennis. Uh, first rule to keep in mind when it comes to the equipment. You can kick their balls, but you can't touch them. Okay. Once more, just make sure we've got it straight. I want everybody to know if you're going to play tennis on Long Island, there are some very important rules, and, and we have two of them. And again, the first one was this. You can kick their balls, but you can't touch them. 
Okay, and so and then the second one was, it's not really a rule, but more advice that she offered, and that was this. To avoid confusion between whose balls are whose, you can use a marker, like a Sharpie, to mark out, to put an X, to put someone's initials on that. So, to be clear, first... You can kick their balls, but you can't touch them. Right. And then... To avoid confusion between whose balls are whose, you can use a marker, like a Sharpie, to mark out, to put an X, to put someone's initials on that. I, I suppose I if you wanted, you could use a ballpoint pen, uh, which might not work quite as well. I think I had a church youth group that had the same rules as this as well for you, church camp. You also, you could <laughs> put an X on them. You may also, I would suppose, not only are you, li you're not limited on the tools you could use to mark them. You could also, instead of an X, you could put a smiley face or, or something like that on them. Okay, so... Just so everyone's clear, we're going to go over the very important tennis rules in Nassau County one more time, courtesy County, County Executive Laura Curran. You can kick their balls, but you can't touch them. Okay, so remember, and then... To avoid confusion between whose balls are whose, you can use a marker, like a Sharpie, to mark out, to put an X, to put someone's initials on that. So we have done a very <laughs> important public service here by bringing that to everyone's attention. And I would hope that every county in America would perhaps adopt some important rules for getting people outdoors I mean, and having being hey, active. Hey, why, let's not just say America. This could also be applicable in Uganda as well. Really? So I just want to put yes, that out there. Well, we have many fans there. So we, we should really acknowledge that. I mean, I feel like New Yorkers need this laugh right now. So I, I, I love that this happened and that everybody found good entertainment. We need good entertainment right now, all of us. I love the guy who was standing next to her that had the mask over his face, and he was just dying. You could just see him going, you know, with his mask on, <laughs> one of just them, shaking. Yeah, there were two cops, and one of them that was behind her on her left, it looked like he stepped out of the frame of the camera. <laughs> he totally did. <laughs> I can't. And Everybody was, became like an eleven-year-old boy in that whole shot. There, it was great. I laughed. It was great. All you day. know that mo those moments when somebody says something like that, and everyone just looks at each other. You don't have to say anything. You just burst out laughing, right? And that was like a collective moment for for all of us. Yes. I'm I so also love that this show is such a disaster that we could talk about something like this <laughs> and then transition into something very serious. That's what I love about. <laughs> I was boys. I was thinking, you know what? We uh, I mean, it's it's late. It's like almost nine o'clock here. I got up super early. Billy gets up at like three in the morning or something to start writing. I was just thinking about how much better our show could be if we were actually like well rested and doing it. No, like, I actually think this is way better to be unhinged <laughs> is way better. Trust me, Chris and I have recorded shows at one a.m. and they're some of the best ones oh, yes. because I just there's no filter. There's absolutely no filter left. I mean, they're the shows that get you fired. They're those kinds of shows, but they're great. Um. Well, it's actually 8.50 here while we're recording this. I wonder if we should call our guest tonight. We should. Now, Lucas, are you on the same time zone as him now? I am. I'm the last of Eastern time. Okay. Yes. There's one renegade county in Indiana that's that's on Central, but I'm I'm the last of, of Eastern. All right. Yeah, I yeah, think we should call our guest. We, do have, we have a special guest coming up we were actually going to call, and it's actually... As Billy said, we can transition from something like this. You can kick their balls, but you can't touch them. Right. To having a discussion with a very actually thoughtful guest who we won't let know. We just played that clip. So. No, we should definitely not talk about it. They'll find out later, but, you know, it'll be fine. Uh, and they'll but never speak to us again. Do, do um, something else new first, though? We do. So we need to start the show. And so I want everybody to pay attention. Yes. We have a new intro to the show that I created this week. Oh, no. Billy and, Billy and I haven't heard this yet. Right. Billy and Lucas no. have not heard it. So this is a oh, no. this is their virgin listen. 
Um, so let's go ahead and I'll, I'll play that. We'll start the show and then Billy will call our friend, okay? So here we go. You can kick oh, their balls. Excuse me, that's, that's not it. <laughs> we'll try this one. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen. Hello! From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. Billy Hollowell. Hey, does this suit make me look fat? It's not what he said, you ignorant wretch. Chris Field. Bad guy in little gold. Let me tell you why I suck. Lucas Miles. I want you to forget what you saw here today. Aw, I've interrupted happy time. The Church Boys. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I hate these guys. <laughs> and there you have it. I can't bravo, bravo. I'm glad oh, you liked was it. I was, you know, it was one of those things like, I think they're going to like it, but... I so. like it. I like it. And I love the logo, too. We have a new logo. Yes, we do have, do a, have new a new logo. logo. We're very stylish. So, we so I, I create this logo, and then the next day Lucas goes and gets his hair cut. So. It'll grow back. Okay. It'll grow God back. Allowed you, wait, God allowed you to make that logo. <laughs> That's right. It was nice of him. He's okay. pretty nice that way. You could have um, used your free will to call me for an updated hair, you know, like a hair update before you made it, though, too. But that's all right. Well, I think that I want to remember your other hairdo. Oh, it's coming back. New one. Yeah. I, I prefer I mean, I like my hair one. about two weeks after I get it cut. All right. Well, no one cares. So I know. We are... <laughs> <laughs> I want to actually, before we bring this guest on, I want to I want to transition us, which I know making fun of Lucas and then transition to a serious topic. But anybody who's been paying attention to the news this week has seen it was trending on Twitter. It was pretty much all over the place that Norma McCorvey, the woman who was known as Roe in Roe versus Wade, she passed away in 2017. Um, she's someone I interacted with a few times over the years and have told her story many times. Um, she's in a documentary called AKA Jane Roe. They captured it before her death and allegedly purportedly in this documentary says that this was all an act that she pretended and took money and was a great actress. And really it's painted to look as though she has no problem with abortion. Now the documentary doesn't come out until Friday, but this is a big deal. You've got AOC all over it. You've got a lot of people who are like, look, look at the evil right wingers who are manipulating this woman. Now, whether or not this is true or happened, Whatever. I mean, well, I guess I guess it's going to be a he said, she said. And again, this was captured at the end of her life. She had a she was a complicated figure from what I know. Now, the guest we're having on is Flip Benham, and he has a really interesting connection to Norma McCorvey. And so I, I won't spoil it. Um, let's let's bring him on and talk to him about it. Hey, Flip, how's it going? Welcome to the show tonight. Well, it's great to be with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. We wanted we wanted to connect with you, and we'll all just you know dive in here, but I think the first place for me that just I, I want to hear how you connected with Norma McCorvey because you guys actually had a really fascinating connection story. So if you could just take us through that. Well, sure. You know, Norma and I were wrestling – with each other verbally in the streets for a long, long time. And, oh, it was about um, 1992 that, uh, no, 1994, when uh, Operation Rescue, I became the director of Operation Rescue that year. 
1994, we, we moved our uh, offices, the national headquarters for Operation Rescue, right next to the abortion mill um, that Norma worked in, which was called A Choice for Women. And, uh, and I'm telling you, the first, Norma would come over. Now, the first thing she did when she saw us moving in is she called the media. And I, I'm telling you, there were satellite trucks everywhere, and they, they just filled this huge U-shaped parking lot. And uh, and it was an amazing thing. And it was, you know, the, the report was that raw meets rescue. There's going to be violence. And, uh, and, of course, there was violence, but it was a violence of the heart, a different violence. There was going to be a violence done to Miss Norma's heart that was going to change her, change her life and uh, become a new call where she had point and purpose, and she was going to be a voice for voiceless little baby boys and girls. And the way that happened is, uh, well, let me get you back to a book signing. She, she was signing a book named I Am Roe, which came out also in 1994. And I went to that book signing, and the police kept me across the street. It was on McKinney Avenue, Dallas, Texas, and there were a lot of people there, and Miss Norma came. And so when I saw her coming in, getting ready to speak, I said, Norma McCorvey, as a result of your lie um, and this law, over 35 million little baby boys and girls have been slaughtered in this country. And, and, and I saw, visibly saw, the, just the breath get taken away from her. And she turned around and she walked out now. By that time, the police had come, they grabbed me, and they removed me so that I couldn't be there anymore. And, uh, but, but I saw that I crushed her. And in my heart, I knew that I needed to say something to her because I, I, couldn't, rec- I couldn't recover from seeing what the Lord's Holy Spirit had done uh, at that particular time. And I hated that it hurt her like that. As a matter of fact, I hated that I hurt her like that. But I told her the truth. So I, I, I just got convicted and said, I am going to talk to her and apologize to her the next chance I get. So on a, a couple of Saturdays after that, I can remember walking into the parking lot. And there was Miss Norma right next to us, where she always is, getting ready to open up the abortion mill. And I was there by myself. And I looked at her, and I knew God had given me a divine appointment. So I, I said, Miss Norma. Miss Norma, what am I going to do? And she said, well, I don't know, Flip. <laughs> I said, Miss Norma, can we sit over here for a second? I just want to talk to you for a minute. So she went over to that little park bench that they had on the outside of the abortion mill. And we sat down. And I said, I just want you to know that I saw what happened to you uh, and, at that book signing. And I saw that my words just fell right into your heart. And, and, and then you just left. I am so sorry that I did that, that that hurt you so much. I am just sorry. Will you forgive me? And, and what was amazing is um, she said, you have no idea. She said, it just took my breath away when you did that. And, and I, just, I just had to leave. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't sign a book. I didn't speak. I didn't say anything. I just left. I had no idea that she had done that. And, 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 and then she just turned around and walked into her office. She unlocked the door, walked into the office and I didn't see her until, you know, a couple of days later. 
And, uh, and, and then she began coming over and asking me to pray for her. I thought that was really strange. Um, and she was, and she would share some of the things that were going on with the folks. And we, in our office and with two little girls, Emily and Chelsea, one was seven and one was three. And uh, these little girls won her heart. They would bake, Rhonda, who is our administrative secretary, would bake cookies and and the girls would give her the cookies and the abortion mill employees the cookies. And, and, and it wasn't but about a month or two and, and, uh, and all of them began to come over. And then on on Chelsea's birthday, they bought her a little Barbie mo- motorized car, battery-operated car, and so she could drive around in the parking lot with that. That's the abortion employees took up a little collection to get Chelsea a, that little motorized Barbie car. And, and things were beginning to really unravel, and the Holy Spirit was just unraveling all of these things. And, and before long, we Miss Norma came to church with us, Miss Norma gave her heart to Christ at uh, the, the Hillside. Uh, uh, I don't even know. It was a charismatic church, Hillside Church. And, and man, she said she she felt so free after she'd given her heart to Christ. And this is just God working. But it wasn't just her. There were six others that came to know Christ in that abortion mill. And we began to see the power of the gospel of Christ, that when we're there and up close, God has an opportunity to show up. The theology of heaven becomes biography right there, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And we saw this abortion battle as so much more than just trying to save babies, but it was advancing a kingdom. And then when we advance that kingdom, when we step into the land, God will give us every inch of land where our foot steps. But if our foot never steps there, we don't get that grace that God would give us and and amazing miracles that he will work if we don't just step out. So we stepped out. We were in that place. God did incredible things. And we were sent back in awe of what God had done. And when she got baptized on August 8th of 1995, and that's when we had Peggy Waymire on the ABC News, and we gave them the exclusive because we knew Peggy Waymire. She was the national director for ABC News at that time, and she was a, she was a born-again, real Christian. And Peggy Waymire is the one that did that story. We wanted to make sure that when Peter Jennings reported it, he didn't report it as some political change or something like that, but that but that Jesus changed. And she said, I can make sure of that. And she did, because the, all of the footage that they had was of, of Miss Norma with the girls, of Miss Norma in an, you know, sitting on an empty swing, of Miss Norma on her knees praying, of Miss Norma being baptized. And, and it was just an amazing news shot. And, and they had the exclusive on that. And the whole world knew. And then everything was turned upside down, really. Can, it was turned right I... side up. Can I ask you, so, and we know, you know, from there that Norma was very, very prominent in the pro-life movement for years. I know at one point she Mm -hmm. had a conversion into the Catholic faith, um, but, but I guess the key question, right, with this documentary is it seems that the claims they're making, uh, based on quotes that they seem to be showing from her is that on her deathbed, she made a confession that it was all a lie. It was all something that was conjured up or that she was an actress. And that's the word that's used based on what you you know about her and the relationship you had with her and the years that it spanned. Is this accurate or true in any way? This documentary? Uh, Well, 
Well, of course. All right. So, so here's a little theological thing that I, I just want to give to you. Um, it says in the Bible that Judas hung himself. Jesus said in that very same Bible, um, go and do that likewise. And then he said in another place in the Bible, and what thou doest, doest thou quickly. So you can take those words that Jesus said and put them together, and it's going to give you an absolute lie. You see, you, Judas hung himself, so you go do the same thing, and what you do, hurry up and do it quickly. You see, that there is an enemy that is going to take the words of a dying woman who was obviously not well. Now, the only thing I've seen of this is the trailer, and I'm sure you guys have seen that too. And Miss Norma, her face was all bloated when I saw her, and she had the oxygen in her nose, and she just looked so old and 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 just obviously not well and this man named uh nick uh sweeney uh and i didn't know who nick sweeney was but he somehow wheedled his way like a serpent into her in her last days because he really wanted to do an interview with her because he really had an agenda and he somehow wheedled his way in and became her friend. And and at first, when he asked her for an interview, she turned it down. She said, I don't want to do any of this pro-life stuff. And he said, no, 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 I don't. I don't it's, this isn't anything to do with pro-life or pro-choice. I just want you to be able to tell your story because you're such a, such a, such a puzzling person. You have, you, and, and, and you sort of divided everything in this country over the issue of pro-life and pro-choice. So I just want you to be able to tell your own story in your own words. Well, if you know Miss Norman, the answer is she's, she's going to say yes to that. And so he, but he had his agenda and, and she just was led in a way and she loves to be funny she loves to be, as a matter of fact, she's outrageous in some of the things that she did and does. And she, and she just wanted to be the center of attention. And this guy paid attention to her. And so she thought, this would be good. I will do this. And she made, so when I saw her on the trailer and it says, I, I, I'm Norma McCarvey. And this is my deathbed testimony. Now, that's all we see. But I noticed that she started her laugh. Because, and, and I, so I don't know what that's going to look like on the, on the television, if they're going to have that on the program that's coming up here tomorrow night at 9 o'clock on FXTV. Um, but if they do, it would be her just lying, just laughing, just joking, just, and she can tell lies. And, and but, but the, wonderful thing about Miss Norma is after a while she'll come back and get it right. Well, I know and, she said, and, and I just, I wanted to, she said, apparently, according to what we see, if a young woman wants to have an abortion, fine, it's no skin off of my rear end, she uses yeah. the actual word. That's why they call it yeah. choice. It's your choice. But, you know, again, and I've said this, you know, it's very easy to take the context of somebody explaining 
how they felt at a time in their lives. I don't know if that's what's going on here. And they're sh- they're sharing that, but it looks to be presented in a way like they're saying it right now, right? Like this is how they feel in this moment when they're actually saying, hey, when I was younger, I believed if a young woman wants to have an abortion, it's no, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I yeah. I think, I guess what I would ask you is, do you believe she was genuinely pro-life? Of course, of course she was. And if I'm going to send you guys a little videotape of her being baptized, what she did, some of the things she said, it's a little seven minute video that we just put together yesterday morning. And uh, just some of the stuff that you could see. Yes, she was born again. Yes, she was absolutely born again. Yes, she she said that homosexuality is a sin. Yes, she never had a homosexual relationship after that. Her and Miss Connie were in the same house. And then we got her and Miss Connie separated from that house, separated from each other from that house, but they were there together for a while. But she never, ever got involved in that again. However, what she was was conflicted, like all of us are a lot of times, with our own sinful nature. And, uh, and she said, I really like women. And I, I understand that, Miss Norma, but you can't have and you can't do those kinds of things. And, and and still claim Christ. That's an impossibility for you to be a practicing homosexual and say that you're a Christian at the same time. It's not, it, it, it's a sin and you know it. And she says, I know it, but I just, I can't deny my heart. And I said, listen, your heart will lie to you. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. It doesn't say trust your heart. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So Miss Norma had that inside of her. And so she, she is honestly talking about conflicts in her own soul, which I am sure you're going to see there. Her trying to figure her out. She's not really a good figurer. <laughs> you know, apart from the word of God, she isn't. And then they, they bring up what he said he wouldn't do is the whole pro-life issue. And she would, she would get conflicted. But when she was on the Nightline show with Ted Koppel, uh, two days or three days after she was baptized, she did that show. And Ted Koppel got her and he said, well, uh, are, are you are you pro-abortion? Are you pro-life now from, from the very beginning? She says, no, I think at the first trimester, it's okay. And I'm, I'm thinking... <laughs> All right, Ms. Norma, you know what? I was pro-abortion, and I was a Christian, too. I, when I gave my heart to Christ, I owned a saloon, and I, I, I sort of thought that abortion was okay. And then I went on to seminary, and, and I found out that, yeah, abortion is pretty much okay. You know, it's not the best thing, but, but it wasn't until 1982, after I'd been pastoring a church for two years, that, that I learned from the Kenosis passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses six through 11, that would be kanao, the the emptying. At what point in time did God make his appearance on this earth in the flesh? At what point in time was that? When did he empty himself? That's the kenosis passage. And I thought, and I said, no, wait a minute now. That's not Bethlehem. That's not when he arrived. He arrived nine months earlier. And all of a sudden it was the light bulb went on. I said, oh my gosh, abortion is murder. This is, this all of God was here. Everything was here. He was here with us when he was in the flesh at conception, when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. Something totally changed my mind. Um, Miss Norma didn't have that. 
So when I sat down with her at that park bench, I told her this, which blew her mind. I said, you know, Miss Norma, that God is pro-choice. And she said, what? And I said, God is pro-choice, and I'm going to show you where. And so we went to the scripture, and I opened up the Bible for her. And I said, look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. And it says right here, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you this day life and death, blessing and curse. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may learn to love the Lord your God and to fear him always, for the Lord is your life. And she said, oh, so he is pro I said, yeah, God is the one who gave us a choice. We didn't, we didn't get that. You know, he didn't give that to anything else in all of his creation. I mean, a bear has to be a bear. A lion has to be a lion. They have no choice. An apple tree produces apples. A tomato vine bears tomatoes. It has no choice. All of the, all of the stars in the sky, the spiral nebula, and the universes beyond this one, and the entire cosmos, nothing has a choice but you and me. And God wants you to do what, Miss Norma? What does it say? And she said, well, he wants us to choose. I said, that's exactly right. He wants us to choose life, choose to trust him, choose to say, as for me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. And she, she, so when she was on that interview um, with Ted Koppel, we had, she had given me a talisman that she wore around her neck. It was silver, made out of silver. And, and I had that thing melted down and, and as a special gift for her after her baptism, I had it melted down, and on the back of that cross was was the verse, Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 through 20. And, you know, so when she says a lot of times choice, she is looking at this as God has given us a choice, and our choice is life. That's what God wants us to choose. So she she would say that. Now, look, I can't tell you the thousand, well, hundreds of radio interviews and, and, uh, and in the print media, how many times she said that life begins at conception. Now, what she said, and I know, I'm sure that as this guy was talking to her, she, she'd say, yeah, well, I've always had that struggle about the first trimester. Well, she never did in, in all of the interviews. And while she was with us, after she learned that life begins at conception, when we when we gave her that little chart so that she could see the formation of the baby, she said, oh, that, that's, that's right here. That's that baby's here. As soon, as soon, as soon as conception, he's here. And that's exactly right. So that's how we went around that. And so what they're going to probably say and what you're going to find out in this movie, I have no doubt because I know where this guy is going. Now I do. But I didn't know all about him until... Uh, the day before yesterday, as I began to study and find out who was this guy that's doing this movie. So flip, and then I realized I was interviewed interviewed by him. So that was and kind of- I thought they were a BBC news crew, and that the, the that that interview that they did two and a half years ago on me was was just a little part of this. But I, I'll bet you it's not a major part. Because I, I think, as best I could, I tried to represent the Lord, and I don't think that that's exactly where he's going with this thing. Okay, so Phil, Flip, can I ask you a question? Sure. This is Chris here. So, um, 
Hey, Chris. So you had mentioned that you had gotten a call from these guys beforehand and you thought they were news people yeah. and that you, they're from England calling you anyway. So you and we had, you had discussed that. I was hoping you were going to bring that up and you did the, the, the bigger question. And it's the question that's getting all the headlines is that she was paid by the pro-life movement <laughs> uh, to be a part of this. And that you, that you said that she wasn't paid, but that Reverend Bob Sheck said that she was, <laughs> And that the documentary found four hundred and fifty-six thousand nine hundred eleven dollars that she'd been paid in what they said were benevolent gifts from the pro-life movement. What do you say about that? What what do you what can you tell us about the the alleged payments to uh, to Miss Norma? Okay, well let me tell you this: no one on the staff of Operation Rescue when we were there, we were all missionaries. We had to raise our own support. That's what we did. Everybody. We knew that because every penny we had, we were going to put into getting us and mobilizing us out in the streets. We, when Miss Norma was uh, gave her heart to Christ, she was fired by Jasper Alawalia, who was the abortionist at the place, and he also owned the abortion mill. And then a few weeks later, three probably, Miss Connie got fired from the abortion mill. You see, what, it, what would have been happening because of the precious two little girls that I told you about, Chelsea and Emily, they, they were winning the hearts of these abortionists. It wasn't just Miss Norma and Miss Connie that met the Lord and came out of there. There were six others that came out of there, workers. Jasper, it was so bad that Jasper Alawalia made them sign, all of the ladies sign, uh, a statement saying that we will not associate with anyone from Operation Rescue after business or during business hours. And we will not associate with them after business hours. To do so would be means for dismissal. And they had to sign that. Because we were so dangerous. You didn't know those two little girls were so dangerous. They were absolutely dangerous to Jasper Alawali's business. So Miss Norma, Miss Connie, are out, they have no, we're, we're going to take care of them. Just like we take care of the mothers that go into an abortion bill. And then they choose life, but they don't have any place to go. We're going to get that. We've got homes for them to stay, shepherding homes. We've got church homes. We've got the food to eat. We've got doctors that will help you to bring that baby to term. There is, in other words, God provides everything for you. So we help people. That's what Christians do. But not in the amount of 400 and some thousand dollars. Uh, that, is, that is so absurd. And, and the man who is not a Christian, but is writing the, probably the, the best biography of Miss Norman, which will be out in 2021. He is, he's a Jew. He and I have had our arguments. His name is Joshua Prager. That book will be out in 1991. He said, and, and this guy does research and he does it well, and everything is footnoted. And he said, that was the most absurd charge. He talked to me today, caught me up and said, that was the most absurd charge. It has never happened. Norma never said anything like that to me. And and it just, I don't know, but Miss Norma was entertaining. You know what she says? She's an actor. She is. <laughs> and, she, and, and she will say outrageous things. She told outrageous lies, but always she would come back. That what this guy did was... 
he had her, t- you know, testifying and doing some things and acting, and she died. And then he waited, you know, what, two and a half, almost three years. And now he comes out with this video. You know what? She can't come back and make it right. Well, and the <laughs> she, thing. And, these are the great and, cloud of witnesses. And as we wrap up here um, in a moment, <clears throat> the thing I would add is that what's interesting is that some of the other people who knew her or who in, interacted with her, Abby Johnson, who didn't know her well and actually spoke to her oh, days she before. I guess Norma uh-huh. called Abby days before her death, days before her death and, and spoke to her. Uh-huh. Um, and so I don't Did you hear that? I'm not sure if you knew that that had I, happened. I, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, she called my boys. She called David. She she was. Uh, listen, she loved us. We loved her. And uh, I am sure that she she I, I don't know how to explain her other than the fact that uh, God uses broken things and um the, the the words that were spoken, they he probably has those words, and he probably has her speaking those words. But I'll guarantee you, they're not in the context of of when you put those things together. It really is a an opportunity to revise history, so and that's what it is to trash the beautiful history, a beautiful story of a tremendous conversion that God did. So you don't and the believe, work of God. So you believe that her her words were likely taken out of context. Do you believe? Do you believe that somebody, some people in the pro life movement, were paying her four hundred fifty thousand dollars over twenty no. years? No, because nobody that I know had four hundred fifty thousand dollars. I just. I just don't know. Now, what, all right, so now I'm just going to turn you over. Are there people in the pro-life industry, and that's what I call it, industry, that are that would take advantage of her, that got her up and did things, you know, and paid her this or paid her that? I have no doubt. I know some of these people. I'm not going to name any names, but that they are. it's not good what goes on. But they raise it up. Raise that money all up for Jesus and for the babies, but that's not really what they're doing, and that just it irritates me. So you know, look at—they're bad actors in the church, bad actors in the pro-life movement, but they're really, <laughs> really some bad actors that we're dealing with. And uh, and uh, Nick, who seemed like such a great guy when I talked to him, and he came and interviewed me here, Nick Sweeney—he's got facts. He's got her saying something. But having just facts isn't the truth. Well, thanks. Thank I you. Mean, Fli- I, it just well, isn't. Thank you, Flip, well, thank for coming you so on. Much. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate yeah, it. Boy. Guys, God bless you. Thank you, and keep giving them heaven. All right. <laughs> I like that. Thanks, Flip. Thank you very much. Okay, well, that that was an interesting conversation. Um, I don't know how you guys felt about it. I guess... Do you want me to lead or Lucas, do you want to lead? I mean, I, I'll just say, I guess to start with, like, it's it's tough. You're going back, you know, you're going back 20, 30 years, you know, ni- the early 90s yeah. that this that this conversation, you know, he's referring to a lot of these, you know, events. And um, it's tough. You know, you're recalling these things. And, you know, as a film producer myself, I know how easy it is to make people say stuff through video. You know, I mean, it's the whole nature. Every documentary does that to some extent that, you know, you're cutting together frameworks of what you want them to say. It's accepted in the business as long as it is carrying out the same 
tone or intention, you're just cutting out the fluff, you know, that's there to make it, you know, kind of more streamlined. The question, though, is, was this nefarious? Is this, as you, Billy, were mentioning, you know, on the call, um, and, and you know, we probably should mention just for, you know, sake of length, we, we you know, we made edits to that, to that call just because we were on the phone for quite some time just for our length of our show, you know, so that what is, um, you know, is there nefarious intentions by the producer director of this this program that he's taking something that she said talking about you know early on in her life that she was an actress that she was you know living this out in this certain way and then he's kind of put putting it out of context to make her say something i don't know i trust somebody like as a go-to like abby johnson who i think is really respected in this field that you know you mentioned talk to her right before uh you know her her uh, her death and so those are the things that i would look to um you know, I want to just point out one thing, and then Chris, I'm sure you'll have something to blab about. But you know, the fact that that she was a complicated person. I interacted with her a couple of times, and one a few interactions were very strange. And I don't say that to disparage her. I say that because it's it was the reality of the interaction. And so it seemed from his interview that he was indicating that she is a complicated person, that there might be things she would have said, and then she'll she'll kind of come back to the truth later on, right? That's kind of the perception of what I had when it came to her. You're also talking about somebody who's, you know, it's her deathbed confession, whether she's joking or not, it's before her death. She's ill. There's a lot of factors going on here. And I want to make this point. A, this has nothing to do with abortion and what it is. So, so the left can parade this around and say, ooh, look, this is so horrible. Let's not forget that if if my memory serves me right, Norma McCorvey found out about Roe versus Wade, the, the result of Roe, in a newspaper like the rest of us, even though she was Roe. She was used by the pro-choice side, allegedly, we'll just throw that in there, but she was used by them just as much. So whether or not she was, to me, it's just a sad story. She may have been used by both sides, I don't know. But at the end of the day, she's a complicated figure and it has nothing to do with the merits of what, whether abortion is right or wrong, well, we know find, it's wrong. Well, don't you find it interesting that the, that the liberal media, or the media in general, they she has gotten more attention in this last week than she did from 1995 when she converted to a week ago. Well, and I I don't... uh, And it's all because she has allegedly uh, had this deathbed, uh, uh, not even conversion, but this deathbed announcement that she was making it all up and she was being paid. To me, it's like, okay, so, and again, I don't, I don't, I didn't know her, Bill, you had an opportunity to do interviews with her. So I think that that's, that's worth something in this conversation. You know, I didn't, I never talked with her. I never had an interview with her. Um, and, and I, I hope that everything was sincere. Her conversion was sincere. I don't know, but regardless, it it would be like somebody using the argument because a pastor falls into sin or becomes an atheist that therefore Christianity isn't true. You know, it's a non sequitur. They have no, they have no real like connection with each other, and so, um, you know, it's, uh, is it interesting? It's an interesting story. We're talking about it. Does it say anything like you said about abortion or the the, the horrors that are there? No, I don't think at all. Well, let's not also forget about Doe, and I'm forgetting her name. There was a separate abortion case at the same time that was part of, and I and I can't remember the, I covered it, and I just can't remember, it was years ago now. And the woman behind Doe, whose name is escaping me now, I interviewed her as well, and she died, and she also became pro-life. And from my interactions with her, I would say was very, very, she was not as big as Norma, she wasn't out there as much, but she really struggled with the fact that she was attached to that. 
and struggled with it quite a bit and was very open about that. So I think there's a lot of other parts of the story that the media are not reporting on. I think it, if you're going to say that the pro-life movement manipulated her, if that, if that is true, we need to deal with it. Uh, but it's undoubtedly true that it seems like she was also used by the other side in the first place to get Roe passed, well, right? So and, and, let's be honest. Well, and Yes, and I think that I think that he made a, a good point there toward the end of the interview, and that is that, listen, the true believers in the pro-life movement, he would say, weren't manipulating her and certainly weren't paying her. But he's saying that there are pro-life industry people who may have, right, that he can't speak for them, right? Isn't that what he said? And, it sounded and, that way. And, and like, look, I and mean, he's right, by the way, if you've ever been around some of these charlatans in the conservative and liberal movement in the conservative movement who say they I host believe a podcast with one of them, <laughs> he, so he said they say they believe these things and they and they have never believed them, but they've figured out where they, who's going to sign the checks for. Them. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many people right now that are making faith based films that aren't faith people. You know, because they see that there's a market for it after I can only imagine and, and sure. these other films that are coming out, they're going, hey, this is this. You know, I mean, I have a buddy. I have a buddy that would say that he's agnostic at best, but he's making Christian movies because he sees the sales that are there. I don't you know, is that right? Is that wrong? I mean, that's a whole different conversation. And I don't think it's I mean, OK, if she got paid to do an inter interview or didn't get paid to do an interview, people get paid to do interviews all the time and do specials. Yeah, speak, and right. Yeah. I mean, that's that becomes your job. You're you're writing, you're speaking, your your personality at that point. I don't have an issue with that if she you know, um, if, if she's an actor and and not sincere with what she's saying, that says that might say something about her. But again, it doesn't say anything about the the movement about the you know whether or not the 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 ethics of abortion you know i mean those are all separate questions and i to me i think the science and the uh uh and you know between the science and the scripture of this um it's pretty clear you know what side truth is on well and last comment from me but years ago when i was trying to reach out to her in 2013 i was told by somebody very close to her that she was no longer doing interviews she was trying to take care of herself it sounded like she was in a crisis of some sort and i was told some things off the record at the time um and maybe she had a change of heart back i mean that happens maybe she he seemed to indicate she struggled with it if if people can change their heart left and right when it comes to issues like marriage people who were once president, I think it's probably fine for people to change their heart on other issues as well. So to me, if we're going to make the argument in one area, maybe it happened to her. And if that happened, that's unfortunate. But but that's her journey, right? That's what everybody else would say on all the other issues. It's just yeah. her journey. Yeah. So either way, it's a fascinating story, a sad story. And I'm glad we were able to get some clarity from the person who saw her initially have that conversion. Yeah. Do you even do you guys know who this Reverend Joe, next to Reverend Bob Shank is? Yeah, we've interacted. Um, he was, I believe, and we should have probably asked Flip about him. I believe they worked together. He was a big pro-lifer, but about a year or two ago, he posts, I think it was in the New York Times, he wrote about how he no longer supports overturning Roe. Right. So he's kind of had a switch of his own. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, I, and yeah. he's, I mean, the quote, the, the Daily Beast had a write-up on this and that he had said, this is a quote of, of Rob, of the Reverend Schenck, I have I had never heard her say anything like this, but I knew what we were doing, and there were times when I was sure she knew, as in they're playing the game, right? And I wondered, is she playing us? What I didn't have the guts to say was because I know damn well we're playing her. And that's I mean, what does that mean to be playing somebody? Did you did he feel she was not emotionally able to take the stand she took? Did he feel she well I mean 
how are you playing somebody that's had a legitimate change of heart? I, like, I just don't like when stories come out after somebody's passed agreed. and they don't have an opportunity to be. And I mean, like, look, does that mean you just don't talk about it? No, but it, it becomes very challenging. Yep. And I think what you have to do is you have to go back to their life and you have to look at what you know, you know, so we either have, you know, one of the best actors in, in, you know, recent history here, who's been able to keep up a ruse for this long, you know, or, you know, we have a situation of possibly something either get, getting manipulated or, like you said, a crisis in 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 uh, belief later in life. And I think those things are much more likely. Now, I'm sure it's going to get spun in a million different ways. And, you know, my guess is that, you know, we don't I don't know the guy who made this film, but, you know, I've, I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen his IMDb. And I think that he's looking for controversial projects that are pushing a specific agenda. And, you know, so I'm not shocked that this has an agenda with it as well, sure. rather than trying to really get to the bottom of what was her real story, yeah. you know, throughout the scope of her life. Yeah. The, those closest to her claim this isn't true. I, like we said, Abby Johnson claims she called her days before her death and they have never spoken before. She didn't even know the number. She picked it up. They talked and that it sounded like from the message. And this is on Abby Johnson's Facebook page that Norma was struggling with the number, you know, the number of, of deaths that are associated yes. with her. And mm -hmm. so that was really interesting to me. And maybe it was both. Maybe she was struggling with that again. Maybe she had another. We just don't know. I, I think we shouldn't be in, in a sense here. We are talking about it, but I, but we're talking about it because this narrative has been put there. She can't defend herself. Right. She can't. Right. So it's it's a little frustrating. I think it's um, fine for us to ask questions or for anybody sure. to ask questions and go, what's the real story? What's yeah. here? You make the decision. But at the end of the day, I don't know as though anybody can say definitively what was going on in her. You know, they can talk about their personal experience with it. I trust Abby's experience. I trust, you know, Flip's experience. I don't think that, you know, uh, confirms or denies what maybe she felt at the end of her life. But it says something about the, the you know, a, a genuine encounter that they both had with her that seems to tell and, and be consistent with the narrative that she had throughout, you know, much of her life. And the, and the media, like I said earlier, has been shameful in all of this in the way they've covered it because they've obviously pushed a specific agenda. Like I said, she's received more coverage in the last few days than she did for 25 years between her conversion and, and you know, last Friday. But Here's the good news, though, is that the fact that we're even hearing about it means that the coronavirus is becoming less of a story. So that's the good news here. COVID-19! <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of... Speaking of coronavirus, our president has decided that he's going to take medication to help with the coronavirus. Hydrochloroquine. What is it? Hydrochloric. <laughs> I can't. What's the What's the word? Or uh, hydrochloromurder me because yes. they're claiming it's going to kill you. Hydrochloromurder me. So <laughs> so the president has decided to take that. Uh, a do you. A, do you believe it's a good idea? And B, do you believe him that he is? No, I think he's trolling everyone. So you don't think he's taking it, even though he said it three different occasions, he is taking it? No. I, I think, think he's taking it. It wouldn't surprise me if he is, because if you look at when he start, said he started taking it, it would have been about the same time that, that valet was tested and reported to have tested positive for coronavirus. Remember, he had the personal yep. valet? And at and about that time is when he would have been starting. Here's the other thing that most people don't know, because I've heard people say, well, why is he taking it if he's not sick? It's a malaria medicine. And the whole nature of malaria medicine, it, when you go to East Africa, which I've been five times, 
basically what they're going to tell you is you're going to contract malaria while you're here. And so you take what's called a prophylactic and it's a medicine that you take ahead of time so that when the virus and malaria is not really a virus, it's like basically an organism gets into your system. It will just, it won't be able to attach to anything and it'll die. And so, you know, that's how this medicine is meant to be used in order to handle what it treats. So if it, now whether or not that works for COVID-19, I have no idea, but that's the intention of the medication. So he would be using it and not, I'm sounding like I have a medical degree here. I believe based upon what I know about malaria meds that he would be using that the way a prescription would be called for as a prophylactic because that's its typical use in situations of malaria. So you huh. do, so you would think that you do think he, you do believe he's taking it. I do. And the other thing that most people have ignored is, you know, people are going, oh, people are taking this and they're dying. Well, that's not true. You know, the example is that everybody pointed to was that the couple in Arizona that took their fish tablets because it's also used. There's like a form of it. Yeah. And we find out later that the lady was trying to murder her husband. Well, let's not say we we can't say that because we don't want to be sued. There are accusations there and are theories out there that she that she purposefully did that. We don't know one way or the other whether she did or not, but there's a whole lot of circumstantial evidence that would point to maybe yes, yes, something exactly. shady going and, on. Yes. And our our show attorneys will be happy that you corrected me there for that. Our um, show attorneys but, you know, also happen to be the three of us. Morbidly obese. It just seems so, okay, that this good. is such Thank a dangerous you. drug. Thank you. So Nancy Pelosi was asked about this, wasn't she? So what did Nancy Pelosi, San Fran Nan, have to say about it? As far as the president is concerned, um, the, uh, our, he's our president, and I would rather he not be taking something that has not been approved uh, by the scientist, especially in his age group and in his, shall we say, weight group, what is morbidly obese, they say. So I, I, uh, I, I think it was, it's not a good idea. What was that, Nancy? In his, shall we say, weight group, had the, what is morbidly obese, they say. So, in his, shall we say, weight group, had the, what is morbidly obese, they say. Okay, so were you talking about, were you talking about Donald or Billy? In his, shall we say, <laughs> weight group, had the, what is morbidly obese, they say. Oh my gosh, I, he has ruined them. He has ruined. He really has. He, okay, he has, what is is he really? I mean, because. Like he's not morbidly obese. Okay, well, so he's 243 pounds, maybe, I think is what I'm seeing here. And he's 6'2", 6'3". 6'2", let's see what this, uh, okay, morbid, extreme, or severe obesity is defined as having a body mass index or BMI of 40 or higher. BMI is a joke anyway, by the way. He's six foot three inches tall. And so. 243 pounds in his in his 2019 memo for his physical exam. Right. Uh, let's see if that gives him a. It would give him a BMI of 30.1. So he's just obese then. So yes, he would be maybe beastly <laughs> or obesely, but uh, um, not morbid. It's interesting. So, but he oh, has... actually, it says that is not high enough to count as a class three obesity. Wow. So Billy, that's, you're an mm -hmm. expert in this area. Uh, no, I don't mean, and I don't mean the obesity. I'm talking about the getting, getting people, you know, yelling and screaming at each other because you went onto Twitter and you addressed some of these things that she had said, uh, and she had yeah. talked about him being morbidly obese 
And you said yeah. that that was, you know, why would you say these kinds of things? You know, look what's happening to our culture. And all people could do is say, how dare you I not defend Trump? I was. Right. And then, and, then, <laughs> and then thankfully, the sensible people just went straight to the fact that you're fat. But the MAGA, the MAGA crowd, which, oh. by the way, more power to you, whichever side you're on. They're like not one guy's like not understanding that I was actually defending Trump to a degree. I said Trump says horrific things, too, but I'm defending him to a degree. And he's like, well, it looks like you shouldn't be talking about people's BMI yourself. And it's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I just defended him. And it's like, I don't know that I love cookies and cake, which is exactly what I tweeted. Like, you're acting like I don't know these things about myself. <laughs> That's like the equivalent of like these, you know, these like um, these cop shows where they put somebody in a training situation and they just have people like jump out of like dumpsters and doorways and people shoot the wrong people like that's what like they just see a tweet and they just start responding because that's what they're so used to doing is pulling that trigger right you know to attack somebody it's crazy i mean and and i was also I, there were a lot of other things too because i did se cup thought it was very funny you know and she was like joking about it and i was like i disagree people like well se cup says it's okay well i don't agree with her i like her we're friends i worked with her i don't and she we responded we had a good back and forth it's okay to disagree with people who you like right. it's fine and your and your point was listen why do why do any of them why do any of our elected leaders need to talk like this it's different for the three of us to talk like that on a show like this because right. it's, it's what it's designed for these are elected official he is the president she is the second person in line to be president should something horrible happen to him or Pence, she becomes president and what are they having a fight over she's calling him in his, shall we say, weight group, what is morbidly obese, they say. She's saying that, he responds with, she's a sick woman, and then she responds with this. You're asking me about the appropriateness of the <laughs> actions of this president of the United States? So completely inappropriate in so many ways uh, that it's almost a given. It's like a child who comes in with mud on their pants or something. It, it, that's the way it is. They're outside playing. That's what they, he comes in with doggy do on his shoes and everybody who works with him has that on their shoes too. As long as nobody's, you know, uh, um, you know, breaking the, uh, the, the tennis rules, I think that we're still, uh, we're still which, okay. Which, which of those doggy do? You can kick their balls, but you can't <laughs> touch them. Or this, or this one. To avoid confusion between whose balls are whose, you can use a marker, like a Sharpie, to mark out to put an X and put someone's initials on them. <laughs> Billy, get away from me with that Sharpie! <laughs> I, can't. I can't. Nancy uh, Pelosi has lost it and Trump has ruined her, and it is the best yes. way to end this show. Okay, so then here we go. I really do hate you both. He'd <laughs> have to be five foot, eight inches tall to be morbidly obese. Or a lot heavier. I'm probably inching towards it, let's be you honest. You think? Yeah, I do. You don't I think. Say. And Twitter thinks so too. Twitter's always right. <laughs> Church boys. You can kick their balls, but you can't touch them.